The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to the Hand Raised Guys, presented by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. I'm Neil McCready. Tonight on the show, Jeffrey Wright joins from 92.9 FM ESPN in Memphis and D1 Baseball's Kendall Rogers joins as well. We will talk uh, SEC football, the recruiting, not recruiting landscape, just the landscape in general of all of the uh, talk about realignment. That's going to come up with Jeffrey. We also talk some NBA with him as well. And then uh, Chase Parham visits with D1 Baseball's Kendall Rogers. They'll talk about Ole Miss baseball in the uh, wake of the Rebels National Championship a week or so ago out in Omaha. And uh, what that does to the uh, SEC landscape, kind of the SEC baseball landscape moving forward. They talk about a number of other SEC programs as well. I think you'll enjoy uh, both of those conversations. We're brought to you by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. Comer in uh, Tupelo or the uh, Oxford area, Southern in Memphis, DeSoto County, all of that area there. Uh, If you are in need of air conditioning service, that's the place to go. They will take great care of you. Um, in the event that uh, you need service on your air conditioner, it's so hot outside, get in touch with those guys. The service is amazing. Uh, the products are incredible. They'll take great care of you. Like I said, Comer is 662-801-1777. Southern in Hernando, 662-429-4429. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Let Corey know what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line. No hassle. No haggle. You get your quote. The rest completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done. What I recommend that you do. And that's uh, that is to get in touch with uh, Corey. And uh, he'll go from there. He'll take great care of you. Uh Right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. Like I said, great products, great services. He wants to be your car guy, wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove it to you when you make the call. 662-257-1900. Jeffrey Wright, Kendall Rogers, all guests join on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. Great place to grab a burger, a po' boy, appetizers, full bar. 
Uh, great beer selection and more. Also, Rafters on the Water out at Sardis and Rafters in New Albany. So without further ado, we're going to jump into it now. Here is Jeffrey Wright and myself with the conversation about all the realignment talk, some NBA and more. My good friend Jeffrey Wright, 92.9 ESPN in Memphis, kind enough to uh, get through with a day full of solo radio and then come talk about the same stuff with me. That's friendship right there. That's what that that's what that looks like if you look it up in the dictionary. Jeffrey, welcome into the show. How are you? Uh, day of. This is <laughs> a week of. I, I got to tell you, man. When I mean, I, I guess was, I did get Monday off, so there's that. When I was your age, I guess I was doing radio in Mobile, and the thought of Three hours of solo radio was was paralyzing the the, the fear of it. I, I you, you're doing it day after day in a market where you really can't just talk about anything you want to talk about, and that's hard. It is, but I think the way that I've rationalized it is this is why I get paid to talk about sports, like during football season, during an NCAA tournament run, during a playoff run. You know, I don't want to say like you can just put anyone up there and and do it. But if there's that many people that are interested, the difference between great and mediocre is indiscernible. But the reason why I get to do what I get to do is because this is this is why you get paid. Like it's it's these months. It's it's tough. We've gotten bailed out a little bit by the conference expansion talk but i mean the thing that i've noticed and you tell me if 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 you've noticed this as well yep last year when this happened and i know it was a little bit later because it was it was media days when it happened it felt more fun like i i know there are big 12 people going hey that wasn't a whole lot of fun for us so i i i can acknowledge that but it felt you know what I mean? Like it felt like, okay, this is the beginning. So let's get some chess pieces. It became like more of a game this time. It feels more depressing. Yeah. You used that word the other day. I was out walking the dogs and I think you called me as your sort of sounding board between shows. Like what the hell am I going to talk about? And then this stuff kind of started breaking and we were sort of talking through it and you used that word. I thought, I don't know. Is it depressing? And to me, it's not depressing. I can see how for some people it would kind of be depressing because I think a lot of things are about to really change where it's going to look really different. But, you know, man, it was just this sounds like a lot, but it was just 30 years ago that Arkansas and South Carolina joined the SEC. It was just 10 years ago that Texas A&M and Missouri joined the SEC. And there are a few people. Chase is one of them. He kind of still pushes back on Missouri a little bit. But I think people 99 point something percent accepted it. And we live in this super fast news cycle. I mean, not to get, so, so when to get I, depressing about it, yeah. but like, you know, you can't even remember which was the last school shooting, which was the last, you know, mass yes. shooting. It's like, okay, that, that one, when was that one? Okay. Which yeah. One? Yeah. No, when people start, it used to be able, used to be able to identify the shootings by the school. Now, if someone says the school, what is that like? You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So that's kind of what this is. I'm not comparing the two things at all. One really matters, and one really doesn't. It's just sports. Who cares at the end of the day? But I don't know. I think whatever change happens, I think by the end of the 2025 season or whenever it is, and I think it might actually be a year earlier now. I think we're going to look up and go, oh yeah, Texas and, and Oklahoma and the SEC makes sense. 
North Carolina and the SEC makes sense. I mean, I just think we're just going to roll with it. I, I think some things will go away, some new things will come about, and we'll just kind of keep going because I think that's just the way we're conditioned with the social media world, where you know you reset your, you know, you you take a two-hour flight, turn your computer on, and there's there's or your phone on, and there's eight million new tweets and eight thousand new TikToks, and you know what I'm saying. I just think it's, I just think things just are going to be sort of more organic than we think. But I'm sure it's why you use the word depression, depressing so, now that you've had some time to think about it. So the reason why I say depressing is not every single one of those examples, like as you know, let's take Texas A&M and Missouri, like you are taking them from the big 12, but also the big 12 had just shown previously that it was very by thread. Like you had the pack 16, it was going to happen. And then, Bob Bowlesby cuts the compromise that allows them essentially Texas can, can sell its own rights, launch the Longhorn network. And it was kind of a, it was a compromise to kind of keep them in. And we'll get into that, how there's some school, there's some leagues that are doing that now that are going to have to probably concessions. And really that's not a solution. That's a stay of execution. Right. But for the most part, it was usually teams and schools that, like the Southwest Conference was was folding. Like you had to you had to find a home. I guess if you want to say like with Miami and Virginia Tech leaving the Big East, like that was the death blow. But the Big East had just been around. Like it was essentially a basketball league that wound up finding kind of fun football. But it it wasn't it wasn't this like great historical collection of schools that have always been together. In reality, though, I'm not someone that goes. I can't imagine USC in the Big Ten. That's not what depresses me. What depresses me is this is being entirely orchestrated by television networks, and truthfully, two television networks. Fox and ESPN. And I use the example of, do you remember when Tiger Woods was like, fresh out maybe you know 99 2000 like he'd already won the masters i don't know if he'd won the pga yet but abc's got the pga tour rights and they're like we have to put this he's liquid gold we have to put him on television like we and they started creating these made for tv events is david duvall i think one and it was this one off because it was we got to get tiger woods on television well yeah it was kind of fun in the sense that you saw like night golf and whatnot but it was an 18-hole exhibition. Like, it sucked. Like, the competition sucked. And there's... It feels like now everything is being orchestrated to become a television product for the benefit of Fox and for the benefit of ESPN. And my biggest issue and why I get depressed is I've never seen a corporate takeover of something and you sit there and you go, this is a unique product. Well, their reality is they're just going to try to make it more corporate. And what depresses me is I am someone that doesn't have, I can, I can love college football Saturday and I can love NFL Sunday. And I don't think they compete in my mind. Like they're two different things. I I essentially think they're entirely different sports. Yeah. agree. But when you start, when you start trying to turn college football into the NFL, I think the product is going to suffer. And that's what depresses me. Because you think it's going to become NFL light 
and NFL Light's not as good as NFL, and people aren't going to want – suddenly people are going to judge NFL Light against NFL, and they're going to realize just how different it is. And if you're trying to make it the same product, it becomes inferior. Why does the NFL work? Well, there's several. Well, a lot of reasons. It's, 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 it's Sunday. It's parody. It's gambling. It's fantasy football. It's, uh, it's a, a three-hour and five-minute experience that's pretty, pretty cut and dry. Pretty, pretty much – you can you can kind of lock in like you know what it's going to be you know your day you're going to turn on a game at noon let's say you're going to watch Bengals titans at noon you're going to get done with it you're going to be able to go over to the 325 game you're going to watch packers cowboys at 325 and you know that you're going to have a little bit of time to uh put the steak on the grill and a little bit of time to to pour another cold one and uh check the highlights of the other game see how your fantasy team's doing and there it's going to be at 715 you're going to have seahawks and raiders in the Sunday night game, and you've got it organized. And if that's what you want to do, you can. Or if you're the guy who's a junkie, you've got red zone, and you've got watch that all day, and you've got the games. It's it's very structured, unlike the college game, which is kind of wacky and crazy. It's chaotic. That's, yeah, and that's you. The, the chaos is what makes it fun. Someone goes, oh, my God, man, Florida and, and Vanderbilt are going to overtime. Florida was a 32-point favorite, and, and you're flipping around, and then you know there's some game out west that gets wacky because it's 62 to 57 or something. That's the difference in the two products to me. And, and furthermore, it's 32 teams that have a league structure Yeah. in which not yeah. only is there a collective bargaining agreement, we also have an equitable talent acquisition. The, the Cincinnati Bengals can go from 2-14 and 14 to a minute and a half from being Super Bowl champs in two years. Uh, Neil, I think you can the make the I think you can make the argument they were half of a second away from a Super Bowl. The whole ball on Logan Wilson. Well, no, I would I would argue if Burrow got an extra half of a second, Jamar Chase was breaking wide open and he was going to hit it. Now, but they go from thirty second to second in two years. You don't correct. do that. You don't do that in the college game. The difference between number one and number thirty two in college football. I mean, how many times have you and I picked an Alabama game? In, in league play, and they're 28-point favorites. Well, the difference between 1 and 32 in the NFL, if you see like a 17-point spread, like that's an oh, my God. And yeah. is it like a team on a backup quarterback? Like it's just – it's close games. It's similar rosters. And in the end, the showcase is the football game. Yeah. Think about this. How many times have you ever seen – Fox, CBS, NBC, with the exception of the Super Bowl, how many times have you ever seen them broadcast the teams entering the field? Uh, it's very rare. I mean, you may see break in from the from the Fox studio show or the CBS studio right. show where they'll show the B-roll of a player running out and then it's, you know, right. giant boys next. But, I mean, I can think about this. Like, how many... Remember when ESPN, they would do like a 20-minute buildup of Clemson getting off their bus, running down the rock. They'll do, they did a 20-minute special, like with, they had Metallica interviewed for Virginia Tech, Inner Sandman. Like, it's the... The best example, when, when we got football back in 2020, we all sat around and, I mean... they I, Damn near I, cried. The game I remember was Wisconsin somebody, Penn State, I think, doesn't matter. Yeah, the first game of the year. It was That's, yeah. Early and at the end of the third quarter, they do the jump around, jump around at Camp Randall, and I'm like tears in my eyes. 
But you don't see that at a pro game. I mean, there's a total different. It's a totally different atmosphere. It's a totally different fan base. It's, it's just different stuff. I mean, different types of tailgating. I mean, it's you know you have the Grove in college football. You, in pros, you know, it's parking lots. It's just it's it's fine. It's two different things. I'm like you. I, you can love both. I love both. You can love both. But I agree with you a little bit, a lot bit, and it's something that I'm curious about as we corporatize college football to this place where the, the players are getting paid and now it's out front. Now the players can leave essentially as free agents at the end of every season. The it's it's all completely changed and yeah. Well, now didn't you even say like unlimited transfers is coming? I think so. I, I think it's the next thing. I mean, it, it's this is not a political comment. No, no, I, at all. But what's coming is is it's it's kind of like it's a progressive movement. Well, progressive movements don't typically say, okay, we had enough, we stopped. No, no. Yeah, they, they, the whole point of it being progressive is you don't – that's good. You keep asking. Keep progressing. Oh. And the next thing is someone's going to go, well, we want to transfer too. And, okay, well, you got to get a waiver to transfer. Okay, well, that's a big pain in the ass process. And there's not enough people, and they, just, they start rubber stamping, which is kind of what happened the last time. Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is say, hey, you know, my, my mental health, I, I, I went through some depression. And it's like, wow, we've completely – we've completely devalued like an actual conversation just to, so that we can be immediately eligible. But for me, the biggest reason why it's depressing is part of what made college football, college football. And I think much of its rise in popularity to where it's now basically become the second biggest sport. Yes. So much of it, the NFL, the game is the feature. The competition itself is the feature. College football is more of it's more identity driven. And it's that it's why college I, game day has been so successful all these years, even though sometimes if you really watch it, it's not that good of a show. No, but it's it's I want to see that. You know what I mean? Like I want to see that, yeah. that that feature. But really what it what it really boils down to with college football is college football is a competition, obviously. But mostly what it is, is talking about a competition. It's a sport in which, man, the Big Ten sucks. It sucks. Slow and white. No, three yards in a cloud of dust. They don't have any athletes. SEC's got the, you know, look at all the dudes on the field. Look at how many guys we put in the NFL. They all came from Georgia and Alabama. Look at how many guys we put in the NFL. The Pac-12 originally, like, innovating with offense. Then the Big 12 adopting offense. The ACC trying to morph from a basketball league to a a legitimate football league. It's all about passion, and it's mainly about arguing with people. And the more and more the television networks get involved, the more the product is going to become a TV show. And... College football's not really a TV show. It's more of it's more of like following kind of politics in that not every single event part of a script, but it's something you can argue. This happened, therefore we can argue about this. Well, what if this happens? And that and that and that. And that doesn't really play out for a nice neat little TV product. Like they don't want that. But the biggest reason why I'm depressed is I really do believe this, and if this is hot take, I don't know. I think college, the college football playoff 
changed the sport for the absolute worst. And oh, here's the four, why. The four-team playoff? Four-team playoff. Okay. And here's why. All right. What came with the four-team playoff? Um, I don't know. ESPN controlling the entire sport. And now, what does ESPN do? They paid, God knows, I don't know, what, $10 million? What did they pay $10 billion for it? I, I forget what, what they paid for it. But that's obviously, at one time, it was their single biggest package that they had. So what are they going to do? They're going to promote the playoff. And every conversation over the last eight years, playoff, 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 playoff. No, it's true. They do the show on was it Monday night or Tuesday night or whatever with the, the unveiling of the rankings. It's like this, is, this does not require an hour to do this. That is not what this sport is. What this sport is, if, if you turn this into a the Bengals going from drafting Joe Burrow to showing promise and then unfortunately Burrow getting hurt and then coming back from the injury and getting on this heater going to happen in college football like it's 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 not there's not enough actual parity amongst the rosters and it will never have that so therefore it becomes a sport that is entirely based upon what it means to you when the national championship race becomes the only story we don't have it like there's not enough to carry it like it's just not like it's a boring conversation because the reality is at the start of a given year, how many teams do you actually think? And I'll even like, you can even do the man. If this breaks, you know, if everything goes right, they can, they could win a national title, not get to the playoff, but win a national title. How many teams do you think are in that conversation this year? There are three. Last year, last year it turns out there were two. I mean, yeah, two. I mean, I'm 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 gonna give Alabama the benefit of every doubt. Period. And then after that, it was last year. It was well, we knew Georgia was gonna be really good, and I think we looked at Ohio State, and I think before the season, some people talked about Clemson, maybe, but nobody really did seriously. And three, remember they were on the super hype train because Notre Dame blitzed DJ Uyangalale every single play. And so he would just chunk it up to a receiver with no safety, and be, he threw for like four fifty, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, this is the next guy!" And it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, no." It took one quarter of that Georgia game for me, like, I am so out on Clemson, I am done with Clemson. But to your point, if if someone asked you today, you, "Hey, you can have Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State, or the field to win the national championship," you have three teams or the field. I will take those three teams. I, I will too, without even thinking about it. And frankly, start spending the money. Yeah, and to me, the sport, yes, everyone quote-unquote dreams of winning a national title. I get that. But the reality is, Ole Miss actually ends up being probably a loss at Auburn away from making the playoff, or at least having... Being really big time in the conversation. So that kind of leads me to my question. Would that change if we went to a 12-team playoff? If we went to one of these deals where, hey, we have two Super Leagues and two Super Leagues have, like, the AFC has a tournament and the NFC has a tournament and the winners play in the college equivalent of the Super Bowl, does that change? Maybe. 
in that now all of a sudden, if the conversation, but my bigger problem is, I think it's going to morph into the same thing that we talk about in the NFL. We don't talk about the wild card teams. You know what I mean? Like we we talk about the teams that are getting the buys, and then the conversation will still be national championship driven. Sure. But the reality of the sport is that's not why it matters to people. The NFL is about what you did and what happens in the season. College football is more about moments and how did you feel like the Giants playoff run, both playoff runs. I can usually remember most of the playoff games. But in the reality, what you mainly remember is, holy hell, we won. We won the title. Sure. And maybe Alabama's jaded, and I put them into a different category. But when you talk about 95% of people that truly love college football, they're less going to talk about titles, you know, even like a, a conference title, even at the smallest level. They're going to remember that game. Remember how great that was? That was one of the greatest days. And, yeah, the season didn't go, but, like, wasn't that a great freaking yeah. day? Sure. Well, when the television, like, that's not going to be a part of their story. Like, it's all going to be narrative. And what's narrative? Who's going who's gonna to win? Like, whatnot. And maybe the 12-team playoff would help. But the irony to me is the 12-team playoff is why we are where we are. In the end, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came together with that handshake agreement, and they said, whatever the SEC wants, we want the opposite. Even when everyone was pointing out to them, this is a horrible idea. You can be upset, and it's, but it's, you are it's, going to shoot yourself. Look what it led to. Look and what here it's we are. To. I know. Look, that, that, is, that decision, that stubborn decision has led absolutely a straight line from that day and greg remember greg sankey walking out of there i mean careful what you wish for <laughs> basically going look i tried i mean i tried i tried to protect you guys but you didn't let me and now hey all bets are off because well i mean we just saw two alliance members i guess that handshake was should have been in writing <laughs> <laughs> so here we are usc and ucla have gone to the big 10 Texas and Oklahoma have gone to the SEC. This has all happened in basically 11 months. It's not going to end there. Where do you – we'll dive into some things, theories and ideas and stuff, but where do you – what's your gut tell you what's coming in the next, I don't know, year? And when I say year, I mean literally, dude, it could start as early as tomorrow. So let's start with the obvious. And rather than – Rather than like you know projecting, do you think Notre Dame is going to make a decision? Oh, I think Notre Dame is going to try until it, the very end to stay independent because the, Notre, here's Notre Dame's deal: Notre Dame is the one program that right now today can sit here independently, take its time, and wait, knowing that if the worst case scenario happened and they got squeezed a little bit. They'd have both the SEC and the Big Ten would take them instantly, instantly, no matter what, no matter how many hurt feelings happen, no matter what it did to the numbers, anything like that. So my gut is that Notre Dame watch them by Saturday. They're going to commit to the Big Ten and people are going to be like, man, McCready's an idiot. But my, my gut is they're going to try to stay independent 
And as long as there's an expanded playoff, know that if they're good enough, they'll get in. So I agree with you. And the biggest reason that I agree is we can laugh at, at Notre Dame's kind of self-righteousness and whatnot, but let's look at the reality of the situation. Are they a national title contender every year? No, but they've proven they can do this and they can still be a playoff contender. Yeah. And they do it fairly regularly. But most importantly, think about the way that it is in, in your own life. I could go and work for, you know what I mean? Like if, you're, if you own your own business, the chances are you could probably go and work for somebody else and make more money considering you're already successful. You've already built your brand and whatnot. You could do that. But this isn't them just buying you and buying you out. This is them buying you and then saying, we need you, and you're going to have to go show up to work every day, yeah. and we're going to use you, and we're going to ride you literally like no horse has ever been ridden before. And, and now all of a sudden, you've got a boss. You've got other people that you work with. You don't even know if you like them. You maybe like some of them. You kind of hate the others. They have the complete and utter freedom right now. They yeah. get to do whatever they want. And are they sacrificing a little money? Probably. Most people, most experts think they are sacrificing money. So I agree with you that they're going to hold on as long as possible. So the first question for me becomes, is the Big Ten really not going to do anything until Notre Dame finally gives them an answer? No. I tend to agree. Now, here is the one thing that I would... Because they, 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 there's too much competition, not to interrupt you, there's too much competition right now for the same handful of programs. They can't afford to sit back and go, okay, we're going to wait on another name, and then they get blindsided. Okay, I'm with you. But we also need to assess the environment. The groups of people that are making decisions are self-righteous blowhards. And not only are they self-righteous blowhards, they are self-righteous blowhards that have time and time and time again made horrific decisions. So when everyone tries to do this, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, I'm sitting there. I'm I'm like, over Warren all day long, man. I'm like, I want to throw my headset and go, have you watched these people? I, I mean, two years ago, two years ago, and everybody forgets it. It hasn't even been two years. Kevin Warren was ready to punt the 2020 season. Well, here's the other problem, though. It was less than two years ago. Was that Kevin Warren, or was that who Kevin Warren works for? I don't know, but ultimately he, he did it, as opposed to Greg Sankey, who said, well, hold up, slow down. Let's just, we might have to, but we don't have to today. Let's Right. That's what I'm telling you. If this is a, a chess match, I know who I'm betting on. I agree. But so here's here's the reason why I asked that about Kevin Warren. In the end, I think Kevin Warren is no different than Goodell, Manfred, Silver. Like in the end, the difference is instead of owners, he responds. He's doing the will of the schools, presidents. But President, let's be real. Yeah, let's be real. The money makers at the schools. Yeah. And the money makers, 
you know, the, the big donors in the Big Ten truly believe that they are better people. Yeah. Like, they really do. That's like, true. they believe they're better people. That's Whereas, true. thank God, my people go, man, this has sucked for 18 months. Let's play some fucking football. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. let's do something fun. No, you're like, right. It's a freaking virus. It's going to do what it does. Like, look, not, look, at, look at Omaha. Correct. I mean, look at Ole Miss like, took 20-something thousand people there. And Arkansas took a whole bunch of thousand people there. And, and, and they had fun and they partied and they, they did jello shots and, and drank the town dry. And, and everybody else. My seventh grade football's coach's son got shot. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's the part of doing business. I mean, it just is. Like, you know what? Thank <laughs> God he's fine. Yeah. They're an amazing family. But like no, there's there's less stuffiness. It's it's, and and you're right. The Big Ten looks down and goes Mississippi, Arkansas, God, the dregs of society. AA, they're not even AAU schools. They don't even have electricity. They think AAU is basketball. <laughs> no, you're uh, right. I care more about AAU basketball than I do. By the way, of uh, an association of blow. By the way, the irony to me. Do you know who's not an AAU institution? I don't. Notre Dame. Is that right? Oh, yeah. And look at what they are doing. Like, look at what they're doing. So I bring all that up for a specific purpose. When everyone makes this assumption that we're going to see essentially a Game of Thrones, the evidence hasn't supported it. And here's what I mean. Neil, Tommy Tuberville was talking about this in like 1995. And I'm sure he was talking about it to you when he was busy not coaching and just (laughs) hanging out with y'all. Yeah. Like this is the Super League idea and concept is not something new. But let's look at what's actually moved on the board. What has moved on the board is that Texas and Oklahoma tried to renegotiate the Big 12 TV deal. They went into the meetings, and everyone told them, hey, uh, you guys, you guys can stay. But if you go next door, doors open, but you got to knock. Make sure you knock. If you go next door, it's like a way better party. Like, way better. It's like that scene in the office where Angela's trying to have a party. Correct. <laughs> and then the SEC finds out ESPN goes, hey, you need to make sure you answer the door in right. like seven minutes. Right. Because I think you're going to want to see him. It was a no duck. It was Texas and Oklahoma. The Big Ten, no matter what they say, they would have done the exact same thing. Of course. You, you know why? Because they just did the same thing with USC and UCLA. Absolutely. No question. But so far, with the exception of the Big 12, like trying to replace, but I mean, that to me, that's a different category. What we're talking about with the Game of Thrones is rating, rating substantial houses, like going down to the lower level and bringing them up. Like to me, that's not a raid. That's, that's you trying to like beef up yourself. But it's like someone that's considered on my level I'm just going to go and take them. But we've only seen four schools so far. And the four schools that did it all came from the exact same situation. The Pac-12 had a very flimsy TV deal that was expiring. 
And the Big 12 had a very flimsy TV deal that was expiring, and no one was super thrilled to pay for the next one. So this concept that we're heading to, you know, 24, whatever, 2024, whatever the number is, I think I agree that inevitably it's heading there. But I also think people need to realize the assumption that you're making is if it goes to that, the assumption that you're making is that these people are cutthroat, legitimate businessmen and women, whatever. And at no point have they shown that. And so I'll interrupt for a minute. There's proof of that. Today, there's a story out of um, WRAL, which I think is in Raleigh, North Carolina. They had the former chancellor or president, whatever, uh, Grand Poobah of University of North Carolina on their show. And he admitted that, yeah, you know, 10 years ago when there was all that talk, we were like, seemed on the cusp of, of Texas and Oklahoma going to the Pac-12 and we appeared. Pac-16. Yeah, Pac-16. He said, yeah, you know, we, we were, we could have gone to, we could have gone to the SEC, us in Virginia could have gone. Decided not to because, you know, we, we decided to make the ACC strong and we didn't want to break up the North Carolina-North Carolina state rivalry. That was going to cause some political issues. We didn't want to break up the Duke-North Carolina basketball rivalry because it would lose the greatest rivalry in sports, in quotes. Um, all that stuff. And now he's like, yeah, you know, but we could have done it. And so it makes you wonder, well, now with the new landscape, you can do it again. And I don't know about you, but I think that's the like we everybody's t- all eyes on Notre Dame. For me, it's all eyes on North Carolina because I think they I think they can go either place. And I think if and correct me if I'm wrong, and this is being a little repetitive from an earlier podcast this week on the Oxford Exxon podcast, so I apologize. If you're smart, and to your point, not everybody in those rooms is smart. They're not business people. They're academics, and they're thinking about reputations and. But if there's somebody in that room who's a money person, he or she is going to say, hey, we have a fiduciary responsibility here to look out for the, the, the long-term health of the athletics program, of the university, and staying in the ACC when we could go to the Big Ten or the SEC is borderline criminally negligent from a money standpoint. So this is where I would say we should start. We both agree the number one target, if you will, is Notre Dame. Agreed? Yes, for sure. Okay, so this is what I would like to do as an exercise. Rank the next ones. Like, where do you go from there? Because I do agree. Here's the reason why. If you're rolling your eyes at North Carolina, the reason why North Carolina is massive is that both the Big Ten and the SEC want them. Yeah. And you get an actual bidding war. Like, does the SEC, I beg your pardon, does the Big Ten really want Florida State? Do they really want Clemson? I don't think so. So, in terms of valuable assets, give me what you, give me how you would rank, you can even, ACC, I, don't, I think we can all agree everyone could have had their pick of the remaining of the Big 12. Nobody picked them, so therefore they're there. 
and the remaining Pac-12. Give me, you would power rank it based on desirability. We'll say from the desirability from the SEC perspective. It's Notre Dame, which I don't think, I think they believe they can't get, which is why I think they're placating them from an independent standpoint to prevent them from jumping to the Big Ten out of some sense of panic. And then after that, I think it's North Carolina. I think they're willing to package, whether it be Virginia. And the rumor today is, as we tape this on a, is it today's Wednesday? Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, on a Wednesday afternoon, as we tape this, the rumor is that, you know, hey, Duke and North Carolina and Virginia have committed to being an, an alliance. They're all going to go together or stay together. Poor old Wake. I think that's significant, by the way, because that's a number of three. And now there's some talk that, hey, everybody in Virginia understands that Virginia and Virginia Tech are getting ready to go separate ways one way or the other, um, you're starting to get into the kind of numbers where you can get close to breaking that grant of rights, just completely breaking the conference. And I think once you get there, once you get to that place, once you get close to it, you're, 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 you're gonna, it's going to happen. might not happen right away, but it's going to happen. But after that, after North Carolina, I don't know, man. I mean, the rest of like, like the whole Clemson thing, and this is where I think you and I disagree kind of wholeheartedly, People talk about, well, you could add Clemson and you could add Florida State and you could add Miami and you could make it this super league and, and, and you could break apart the ACC to the point that nobody would have to pay exit rights and you could get the ones that you want and you'd have this powerful league that would be um, generally geographical and you could kill a lot of birds with one stone. And I'm like, I get it. But if I'm the SEC, I don't want all those schools. I, I don't want Florida State. I don't want Miami. I don't want – I probably don't want Clemson because I'm not sold on Clemson as being anything more than what I've already got. If I'm adding, I'm adding something that brings something to my league. I'm not adding for the sake of adding. I'm adding something that increases my value. And okay, so – That's North Carolina. And if I have to take Virgi- – and, and Virginia too. I, I think Virginia is kind of sexy. And if I have to take Duke – yeah, I know it's a poor football program, but I do get the Duke name in basketball, which is going to help. You get to beat somebody. Yeah, you get to beat somebody in football, and you do get – I mean, if you were to add Duke and North Carolina to your basketball league from a, a selling your tournament at that point, selling your package, you got Duke, you got North Carolina, you got Kentucky, you're always going to have a hot team, whether it's Auburn or Arkansas or LSU or Tennessee and you're always going to have that. You, it's pretty attractive. You got Florida with its past and all that stuff. You got good coaches and all of that stuff. That that makes your basketball product and and Virginia too. That makes your basketball product really damn sexy. It doesn't do a whole hell of a lot to your football product, which really weakens the argument tremendously. I get it, but from an academic standpoint, if you offer the academic schools in the SEC the opportunity to align with North Carolina, Virginia, and Duke, they're going to take it. So. I agree with everything you said there. My my only rebuttal to that is I do not think you're living in a world where I don't think this is picking stocks to put into your portfolio. So, for instance, I don't think this is I only want to take the stuff that makes me money. And the reason why I believe that is I think of the remaining schools Here's, I guess, the better question. Of the remaining schools out there that could be attractive, how many do you think, if you were ranking one, two, how many would put the SEC 
as their preference over the Big Ten? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it, that's a really interesting question because I was just reading something about that a little while ago from some different people that were opining on that. If, if, you're, if you're asking the academics in the room, they're all going to say the Big Ten. If you start to ask some of the people in the room who understand athletics and understand money and understand brand value, North Carolina turning down the SEC is going to be really difficult for them because they've longed to establish themselves as more of a legitimate football presence. And the SEC offers it. Correct. But also now the Big Ten offers it. They do. They do. And this is what's getting left out of the equation. It's not just that the Big Ten is leveling up to be even with the SEC. In five years, now granted, it's like quarterback deals where whoever signs the next one, that's going to be the richest deal in sports until the other guy signs it. Sure. But in five years, the Big Ten is going to have more money, and they're going to be doling out more money. And the reality is, in most situations in which all things being equal, in terms of television money, the Big Ten is been a little bit higher than the sec we're not talking on field success like sure we're just talking about that so the reason why i bring all that up is i can envision a world where maybe florida state clemson i know the good people of of nc state raleigh north carolina like they they don't want to be in that big 10 stuffy room those are people with senses of humor like those are normal human beings I think Vatech doesn't want to be in that Big Ten room either. No, they want to go to the SEC. So does NC State. Correct. So we're talking about, though, a lot of the, man, I mean, we could, but none of these things are adding to your portfolio of they're going to help my brand. So, yes, if we're living in an ideal world where I can go take, I can just go, UNC, UVA, I don't know what people think about Miami. I know it doesn't have a passionate fan base, but like certain point, like I don't know if you can ignore the amount of money that they have because let's also make two things very clear. Yes, it is true that North Carolina and Virginia are two of the biggest states that the SEC does not have any presence in. Yeah. But the biggest reasons why they want UNC and UVA is go look at the endowments, go look at the alumni that are billionaires, like rich, yeah, big real time. rich, big like time. it's real money. It's like that good old fashioned old money. That's also like super old money. Like that's it's, it's, it's a lot of that. No argument. So in two of the fastest growing States in the country. Yeah. So if I'm the sec and I'm playing this, this would be like, when we talk about the whole game of Thrones thing, the reason why I'm, not as convinced as everyone else that this is inevitable is I've watched how this operates and you've got a lot. It operates very similarly to world leaders with nuclear, like nuclear codes. Everyone's worried. Well, what if we give him the codes? What if he, he's one finger away? Well, first off uh, everybody, like there's a, significant process like trump can't have a bad day and just flick up a button and then go nuke everyone so uh, (laughs) i know i know you think that but like it's not actually true right but the reason why i bring all that up is 
after Nagasaki or Hiroshima. What was first? Nagasaki was second, right? Yeah, Hiroshima was first. Yes. After Nagasaki, uh, leaders have been very reluctant to sit there and go, oops. Like they're, you know what I mean? We've had nuclear disasters, but those have been mainly nuclear power plants. Like it's a lot of people that at the end of the day, when it comes nut cutting time, they're not really cut out for this. And how do you know that? Well, they're, they're in college athletics. Like, yeah. That's how you know. It. Like if, if, if these people were wildly impressive, shrewd business people, like they would be wildly impressive business people. Instead, they're in college athletics with all due respect to those of you that are in that wonderful field. If I'm Sankey, I'm living in a world in which I can, if I think it's inevitable that there's going to be a super league, I need to operate from the position that when it comes recruiting time, most everyone that I want is going to prefer the other girl. And I think it's pretty far across the board. I, I, I agree. So therefore, I view this as I cannot, I cannot let this become a coin flip to go react now. And yes, I am offering, would you say that package was NC State, Duke, NC North State, Carolina? Duke, North Carolina, and, and Virginia. Okay. Well, are they all together? Three of them are for sure. Okay. Well, those three, you're all in. Uh, if I'm worried about the Virginia governor who's a tech guy or has a big tech base, if you will, that's it. Like, come on. I am literally offering everyone that it takes to solidify my position because I believe if I do not if I leave this up to a judge's decision, then the judges are going to pick me. So I have to go and knock this out. And yes, I'm taking on some brands that you would make the argument, it dilutes my brand. And I understand that point. But at the end of the day, even if I got to take Florida State, Clemson, Miami, if I, I have to do all this, if I've got to take eight, I'm doing that. Because even with the dead weight, like hell, wake, you need to come up, like you need a spot weight. Oh, that's a, bridge too, that's a bridge too far. Hey, listen, Putters right there across from campus has the best steak sandwich you've ever had in your entire <laughs> life. That place brings the noise. But Arnold Palmer your, right there. To your point, I mean, when it happened, people were like, oh man, Missouri's going to really ruin the brand. Missouri doesn't make any sense. Um, A&M doesn't fit. Turns out A&M really fits. And it fits so much that Texas sat there and who never wants to admit it, they were so jealous of them. Yeah, they, they, like, they knew right away they'd made a mistake. Correct. And it took a decade to rectify it, but but they, they did it. And and look, Missouri is not a great fit. But Missouri, well, but Missouri I mean, has Missouri has not hurt the league. Missouri has not hurt the league. Hell, for a while they were carrying the East because, you know, I mean, it's just that those natural ties to the Eastern side of the Southeastern Conference. Right. But my larger point is that if I do all that, yes, I'm bringing on some dead weight, whatever. I don't care. There is no denying if I add 
if I add, like, yes, I'm bringing on dead weight, but guess what? I just got two of the three hottest chicks at the bar. Oh, there's truth to that. Yeah. And if that's what you have to do. Yeah, I get it. I, and to me, it. like the other the other part of this equation is if I'm the SEC, I don't even really flirt with the West because like to me, like the only way you have one path to get Notre Dame, in my opinion. And that path is every other league dies or becomes so irrelevant. So you need not only the Pac-12 to die, but the ACC to die. And then the Big 12, will obviously, like, it's already dead, like, whether or not they know it. Like, in the end, they're trying to, they're trying these other people because they saw what happens when they get raided. They die. Like, they yeah. know they're operating like a dead man. I actually, but think, I actually think they're going to come out of this smelling like a rose when it's all done because I think they're actually going to take their league, which had taken a major blow, and they're going to repair some of it. Not all of it, but some of it. They're going to become a very good used car. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I think they are in position. If we are going to live in a world where there are going to be two tier ones, and one tier three, I do think they position themselves to be the tier three or the, 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 the number one school in tier two. Like, I do think that. Yep. But if you look to the West, like what we just talked about 10 minutes ago about how, never forget, the Pac-12 wasn't playing football either. You're never going to win the argument of Stanford, Cal. You might win the argument because in the end, at least Oregon's honest, like intellectually honest about it. 
they literally have said Phil Knight is running this. And Phil Knight would like to keep everyone happy and get them to the Big Ten. But I don't for a second believe that if the Big Ten says, eh, Phil Knight ain't taking a chance. He's not going to let them become a school that sits there and waits and waits. Like He's going to solidify their future. But to run the string of schools that you would have to get for Notre Dame to choose you over the Big Ten, I don't actually think it's possible. So that path to me, I'm just ignoring it. I think it's so unlikely I'm not doing that. Therefore, it is my responsibility to get everybody else. Because I know I can't get number one. But I can lock up making deals and whatnot, keeping everybody happy. And the bigger point for me is, if I lock up enough of these ACC schools, in the end, what does ESPN care about what patches on your jersey? Like, why would they care? Right. I have deals with both of these leagues. The truth is, I might be able to steer this enough to where I might actually be able to save. I just throw in the money that I was going to put in the ACC package. I cut out some dead weight. I'm going to be able to sell this differently. I might come out ahead. Why do I care whether or not the ACC, they have an ACC patch on their, on their, on their shoulder? Well, if you were to get, let's say you got four of them and then Virginia Tech and NC State were like, screw it, we're going to the Big Ten because the Big Ten at that point kind of panics. And at that point, you're Louisville and you're like, all right, we're not sitting here. Big 12, it's not what we wanted, but we're going. Before you know it, eight are gone and the league dissolves and nobody owes anybody anything. I mean, that, that sounds like this far-fetched theory, but you could get there quickly. Well, here's the other big reason why I'm doing this now. Even if I'm taking on bad contracts, if you will. The biggest reason that I'm doing this now is I am not leaving this up to chance. There are plenty of legal minds that believe the ACC pulls off this merger with the Pac-12, you know, and has like, you know, East, West Coast, and it's a different league. There are plenty of legal people that say that's enough to end the grant of rights. And therefore, I think it's entirely, I think it's entirely a play by the ACC to try to get the grant of rights torn up, not so they can lock arms, not so they can lock arms and go, all right, it's time to go to war. It's so that they can all become free agents. Absolutely. Agreed. And so, because if you if you offered that, if you put that on the table today, they're all gone. I mean, if you were if you were to tell North Carolina and Duke and NC State and Clemson and everybody else, hey, listen, this fear of owing eighty million dollars or whatever it is, don't worry about it. It's over. Don't sweat it. They're out. They 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 might be out by the end of the night. They would all be cutting deals other places. Correct. And so if we get to that position, and they're free agents. I don't feel comfortable. I, I know what you said, but like in the end, North Carolina and Virginia are going to have to say no to the Big Ten. And they're enough. Like, I don't, I'm telling you, man, lived in Winston. As I said, you're criminally shorting the food scene in Winston-Salem. Gotcha. Those Carolina people, here's who they are. You know that group of LSU people when everyone goes, Orgeron's so perfect. Like he's he's the embodiment of Louisiana. You know how like all those money makers, like it literally like would just 
gnaw at them. Like, it it is everything that they hate about their home. Yeah. A lot of the a lot of the North Carolina UVA people are like, you know what? I'd much rather I'd much rather go play, you know, the country clubs, the country clubs in the Midwest with fine people rather than the scallywags down south. Yeah. I can't leave this up to chance. Like to me, if we really are talking about this as war or whatever, you know, like people want to dramatize it, dramatize it, beg your pardon. I don't know how many people out there studied World War One, because like in the end, we showed up at the end. We're like, hooray, <laughs> that tick that one in the W column. But yeah, most of it was, um, which is why I love my country. In the end. Germany technically decides to go to war first. Not out of, oh, the Archduke got assassinated. Like that, Everyone ties it to that. No, the reality is the people that made that decision were largely their military minds, and their military minds knew if, if we all agree there's so many, the, so many of these states are unstable because they're so young and whatnot, and you got all these people on top of each other and they're all fighting. If we all agree that war is inevitable, our best chance to win this, which isn't a great chance, by the way, we got to go first. We're ahead of them in terms of, you know, railways, whatnot. Like they, they had a systematic advantage. They also knew the longer it went on, else was going to catch up. It obviously didn't work out for them. The reality, though, is it basically ended in a stalemate. And then we had World War II. But I'm, if I'm the SEC, I kind of think, like I said, you got to think like Germany. Like, in the end, you're going to have to fire the first shot. Because I do think if you get into this bidding war, it's not that you're, it's not, that you're not going to get people. But the reality that you're facing is you can add. But the truth is you'll probably be in a similar spot to what were the last time you did this. You'll have a bunch of people saying, we want in, we want in. And you're like, I, I, mean, I got a pot roast. Like, in the, hang on, you know, like, g- g- give me a couple minutes. Like, let, me, let me think about this. I can't take that risk because then you're in a position where you're adding schools. You're diluting your pie. Like, forget about the league. Neil, what's the most important thing you can't dilute? Well, that's that's why it all really comes down to what ESPN's willing to do. Uh, you know, ESPN's crunching, and I guarantee you, this is happening behind the scenes. They're crunching the numbers because the deal that's in place is: look, you get you get right of refusal on this, and if you decide that you don't want these schools, cool, we won't take them. But if you decide you you do want these schools that we're we're presenting to you as as potential members, you're going to make the, a Texas sized piece of pie for those schools. And so ESPN's got a lot of stake in the game. They do have the ability here. Wait, when do we go from pie to steak? Because I'm, I'm want, I want the steak. Yeah, I'd rather have the steak too. Whatever size steak, whatever ounces of steak, they're gonna make. They're, you're not gonna go from hey, I'm, I got 16 ounces to I've got 11 and a half. No, you can get some crab on top of that. I think Texas and Oklahoma can. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't know about no, Notre Dame. Can get, 
Notre Dame gets whatever. Notre Dame gets whatever. You need a blowjob with it. Like Notre Dame right now can get whatever, <laughs> whatever it wants. Yes. Whatever yes. it wants. Your um, wife doesn't matter. Hey, come on. Yeah, yeah. listen. Just, She's let's, let's a hell of a good cook. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what's gonna happen. I. Well, this is one other thing I want to point out because I have not seen part of the conversation, and I, I, this is fascinating. So if we go back to where we began, which is part of what's depressing to me is this is largely being orchestrated by two television, net, I guess, networks, but I mean, whatnot. But what I think is fascinating is, yes, it's Fox, and yes, it's ESPN, and yes, they're in the content business, but also keep this in mind. ESPN has been very clear about this. Inevitably, they view themselves as essentially a service that you're going to pay for. It doesn't matter if you watch it on your phone, wherever. Like You're just going to buy ESPN. It's going to be a service, if you will. Well, Fox largely got out of streaming and largely got out of that side of the business. Fox is still a traditional network, a net, one of the four network television channels. So where I think the SEC has the opportunity, Fox in the end, the number that matters the most to them, rating. What's the rating? What's the number? So it makes all the sense in the world. Why did LA? It's the second biggest media market. Yeah, huge. And if you're worried about popping the number in terms of the rating on the game, because that model, all you really care about in the end is market size. We are actually weirdly, everyone keeps talking about brand, brand, brand. I would like to make it clear. Brand matters if you're courting ESPN. Because why does ESPN care? ESPN, in the end, they would obviously prefer to have big. Like that's, that's another, you know what I mean? Like it, it certainly only helps their bottom line, but ESPN gets where they're going. They are going to, we are going to be a subscription service and let's make no mistake about it. You're going to pay a shit ton for it. Yeah. And and so they want, they want the, they want people that go, I cannot live without this. And let me tell you what Stanford people can do. This part of the country, Stanford people can live without it. Hell yeah, they can. Let me tell you what every, like, I'll give Oregon credit. Like, I think a lot of them are passionate, not to this level. And so I do, though, Carolina people can't live without Carolina basketball. Yep. Duke people can't live without Duke basketball. Yep. NC State people can't live without NC State sports. Like, they're, they're, for all the eye rolling, NC State operates, their fan base thinks of, they want to be good in everything, just like every SEC school does, where like they don't, specialized they they just they love their school it is where i do think clemson is part of this you and i both agree like auburn with a lake like it's like auburn with a lake and the cult of a&m like it's oh god now i would here's where i push back on you auburn's a bigger cult than you give credit oh it is it is it, it's absolutely a cult but it's the thing it's like well when you're there and a&m's like standing like over in the room, it's like, no, you guys are totally fine. Like, sane. Like, you got crushing university. Actually, it's a public university. By definition, it can't be. But it, please tell me, tell me more. But I want the Colts. If I'm, if I know I'm the SEC and I'm in bed with ESPN, like that's who I've made my bed with. 
give me the Colts. Yeah. Hey, uh, before we go, I want to touch a couple of other topics. We've done now an hour of, of college football. What, what do you think happens with Kevin Durant? And what needs to happen for Kevin Durant to salvage his I've started to say that I hate the word legacy, but I've talked about his legacy for a while because here's this top 10 player who right now nobody thinks anything of him. I mean, he's not well thought of. What is there anything he can do in this move okay. to salvage that? I've got nine minutes. Oh, yeah. I got one for him. What is LeBron's universally most accepted legitimate championship, even by the LeBron haters out there? Oh, Cleveland, the one in Cleveland, for sure. You and I talked about this. I mean, I remember when before before LeBron he went back when we were sitting across my kitchen table and we're like, LeBron is a genius in this. He has convinced people that he's making a sacrifice to go to Cleveland. Cleveland had the better roster. Like yeah, they, they had the ability. They had the ability. Like Miami was done. Like, but he went back, and he won one for the city. Who has been championing cheapening his championships? The last three weeks straight. KD. Well, who's been cheapening KD's championships last last three weeks straight? Oh, Golden State. Who has Golden State targeted as? Uh, you're not our rivals, but all we do is talk about it. Memphis. Hey, you want to come over and kill the Warriors with us? Oh. Listen, I would be so in. Now, if you're talking narrative and legacy, because that to me, even though Durant's going probably to a better spot, I mean, obviously, at a certain point, you're going to have to give up someone. Like, I'm in the minority, I think. I prefer they keep Jaron Jackson because I think, I understand why people love Bain, but like in the end, if you do not have a defensive presence and stopper, I, I just don't think, I do not think Ja, Desmond, KD is as good of a title contender as Ja, KD, Jaron. I think that's a much better title contender. And you get to swoop in and go, I taught the kids how to learn. I brought them over the top. We killed the Warriors. You know what I mean? Like, that would be his greatest championship. It would be his championship, no doubt. Right, for sure. Correct. Despite the fact that it's – I watched those series. Those Warrior series are his. Like, they're his. Like, the biggest problem to me is Boston ruined my – I was so – you thought I was at my finest when Coach K died. I had just as much to just pile on the Warriors when they were done. Boston. Greatest dynasty ever. One championship without Durant and Kyrie and Kevin Love had to get hurt. What a dynasty. Like, I was just going to – I was going to eviscerate them. I was going to make them cry. Kevin Durant did that for me. You can kill them. You can end them. The reality of the situation is, thanks to you, I know that if Kevin Durant and his camp didn't like Oklahoma City, yeah. they really ain't going to like Memphis. So that, that's off the table. Yeah, the bar goes awfully go- early for, 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 their stand, for their liking. It's his people, by the way. It's not him. It's his people. No, no, I, I, I mean, in the end, he's, like, he's from D.C., like, not and not not DC DC like he, well, and, and refuses to even talk about the wizard right like and won't go back and whatnot so I would tell him this I think this all feels inevitable maybe I'm being too tinfoil hat is too tinfoil hatty but 
I think this is orchestrated, like pre-orchestrated. I think a lot of this is kind of a show to make it look legitimate. I think it was obvious he wanted to go to Phoenix. I don't know why he decided Phoenix, but that's where he's decided he wants to go. You can win a title, and it'll be different than you joining the Warriors, who just beat you. But you should also be aware of this. If you do win the title, you're going to be in the same position that you were in. That's going to be Chris Paul's title. Whether or not it's true. Yeah. Like it's going to be Devin Booker's title more than it's your title. It's going to be, it's really, but I mean, the truth is it's going to be Chris Paul's title. It's going to be the Chris Paul lifetime achievement. It'll be Chris Paul's title, like Dirk's title. Like it's going to be that. And if he goes to Miami even, and that one comes up. It's just another Pat Riley uh, title. It's going to be another Pat Riley Eric Spolster title. And so in the end, I think he's going to Phoenix because I think that's where he was going all along. And I think Phoenix is the one that can probably make it happen. I don't buy the Toronto stuff. And I also don't buy that. I do not buy that Brooklyn is going to play. I just don't. I understand it should work like Brooklyn should say we're trading to wherever we get the best deal. But if James Harden in the end got his way and got shipped out to where he wanted to go twice. Yeah. Kevin Durant's definitely going to. Tell me as my as, as a friend. Tell me, Neil, you cannot put stock in Summer League. Neil, you cannot put stock in Summer League. Neil, you cannot put stock in Summer League. Just tell me as a friend. I need to hear it. Neil, do you remember the name Wayne Selden? (laughs) I do remember Wayne Selden. Let me tell you what. When I watched him in Summer League, I I thought I'd seen the future. I thought I'd seen the truth. (laughs) Here's where you can put some stock into it. Okay. My skepticism with Chet has been misconstrued. If it was coming down to, would I take Jabari or Chet? Jabari. But if the option were Paolo or Chet, I was taking Chet. So Chet was my number two, no matter what. In the end, my hesitation with Chet was when I saw him against athletic bigs multiple times, I didn't love it. And when he got to the NBA, it's nothing but athletic bigs. Even the unathletic bigs are super athletic. You cannot buy into Summer League. There's no NBA bigs. I'm curious to see what he does against Xavier Tillman. Because while Xavier Tillman is not an elite NBA big, he is a grown man big, and he's athletic enough. Well, let me tell you what went through my mind watching Chet Holmgren destroy what the group of boys that were dressed out in Utah Jazz uniforms. Where's the lotion? On Tuesday night. No, what I thought... Carson, go upstairs, buddy. Yeah. What I thought was... (laughs) Well, I, I did. I did feel things. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but what I, what, all I been there. what I did think was, as I watched him operate in space and make shots from the three off the dribble and space the floor and hit cutters, was God. Mark Few sucks as a coach. Uh, now I, I said this. That's what I really thought. That's the one thing that really stuck out in my mind was, oh my God, you had this guy. And you bogged him down in the paint with Drew Timmy? So Why? today was, you know, normally for us on the show, Mondays, of course, overreaction Monday, because it's just what that's what the, the great ones do. So I had to figure out a way to do overreactions to Summer League because, you know, it's July 6th. Yes. My, my, we do like this things like buy, sell, short, go to Reddit. Uh, remember when the, the AMC and the, GameStop thing was like we, we we played off that we had some fun with that and we still kept it as a bit. 
mine was uh, Mark Few needs to be put in the Tom Izzo category where we got to stop worshiping this guy. Oh, for sure. I mean, now let's let's see. But I mean, to me, like my first thought was, oh, maybe there's a reason why he doesn't have a title. I mean, you know, the same thing with Izzo. is the guy time. that told Jaron Jackson, like, get your get your ass on the block. It's like, okay. I watched last night and I thought to myself, oh, like Eric Musselman should send a, a thank you note to Mark oh, Few. Yeah. Because if 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 Mark Few lets uh Chad Holmgren play that style of basketball, they beat Arkansas in the sweet sixteen by twenty points. Now, my other my other pump the brakes would be uh how many stops did you count last night i'm talking stops i mean because i watched the i watched both i watched both two games yeah like that the defense was like but but i did see holmgren it looked more like a showcase to me than anything yeah he was he was dominant as as a rim protector which i think is the one thing that he's you know he's going to do well but if man if that's a glimpse into his offensive game Sign me. No, up. I mean, I, I will say this. Like, I, my first thought was, oh, if, if this is a, if this is a sign of what's to come, yeah. Like, the next person that tells me Mark Few is a genius, I'm going to literally just say, go that. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I've kept you long enough. There's a summer league game. We got to go watch it. We both want to go watch. So, hey, thanks for the time as always. Really appreciate it, Jeffrey. All right, man. That was uh, Jeffrey Wright. I'm trying to find my camera here, and it's just not working, so we won't keep won't bog that down. Thanks for his time here on the uh, Hand Raised Guys, the Oxford Exxon podcast. Uh, Chase Parham and Kendall Rogers spent a couple weeks together in Omaha talking uh, or watching college baseball as Ole Miss won the national championship. They uh, reconvened earlier today to talk about Ole Miss, talk about the future of the SEC, the future of the Ole Miss program. Uh, a few things college baseball. So here is Chase and Kendall Rogers on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Kendall Rogers, D1Baseball.com. Kendall, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, you, you do this every year. I was I was in Omaha for a pretty good while, the same amount of time. time but uh, you've been on the road for a good solid six, seven weeks. Your, your family knows what to expect by now annually. What, what is, what is the situation when you get back? You got like a honeydew list a mile long. What's going on? Yeah, it is a situation to where as as soon as I walk in the door, I'm kind of, kind of handed everything. And then the mom is out to shop or doing whatever the heck she wants to do. So I'm sure you kind of had that same feeling, but uh, it's, it's always bittersweet. You know, I love getting home, getting home to the kids and obviously getting home to the wife and getting back to the normal things. But you know, you kind of get wrapped up in the postseason. I'm sure you kind of felt the same way this year, but you know, the the regional weekend was, was so crazy and back and forth. Had so many so many highlights. There were obviously some low lights for some teams, but I mean, the the regional weekend was was crazy. Super regional re- weekend actually wasn't quite as crazy, but it was still great games with with teams. You know, trying to get to the College World Series, you had the you know Ole Miss playing the way they did in Hattiesburg and things like that. So uh, it's bittersweet because the season, especially at the very end, is is a lot of fun. But it is nice to get some downtime. And and you know, fortunately, these coaches on this coaching carousel have not let me have too much downtime. So I know you guys had your wrap up pods and stuff at D one baseball. Mm-hmm. Other than just kind of saying bye, I really haven't talked to you since since it ended. We were both pretty busy that night. But yeah. what is your 
I guess now that it's been a little bit, what's sort of your take on that Ole Miss run and sort of just some overall thoughts on the Rebels as they as they finish it off? Well, it's really interesting because, I mean, if you look at Ole Miss, this is obviously a team that we thought was going to be good coming into the season. Uh, this is a team that, you know, people kind of forget about it. But, you know, people in, in Oxford haven't forgotten about it, but people naturally forget that this is a team at one point that was number one in the country after the Auburn weekend. And so, I mean, to, to say that, like, it's it's a massive surprise that they were able to put all the pieces together and go on a run, like, that doesn't really surprise me that much. I mean, obviously, like, the, the, the idea of, like, Ole Miss being a national champion, like, yeah, is a little surprising considering some of the past history. But, I mean, this was a class that if they could just put all the pieces together was destined for big things. I thought when, when Kevin Graham came back, uh, that I thought that really helped them both in the dugout clubhouse, on the field. You know, you look at the job that Tim Elko has done to kind of keep that thing together. Uh, and then, you know, Peyton Chatagnier, I thought in the postseason, played really well. Just you, you just kind of felt as that postseason is that postseason started, especially that Miami weekend. You know, people really didn't watch that nationwide very much because of the rain delays and things like that. But, you know, watching some of those games, like Ole Miss played really, really well that weekend. I thought they just kind of set the stage for that postseason run. So, I mean, is it surprising this team played really well in the postseason? Probably not. But uh, to end the season as a national champion, given what they went through, probably was a little bit of a surprise. But I give them a lot of credit. You know, I, it's kind of interesting. We I kind of go back to a conversation that we had with Mike Clement where he kind of talked about, you know, the team getting going out in the outfield and kind of having a come-to-Jesus meeting. Like, you know, guys like Tim Elk will even kind of have tears in their eyes in the middle of the season. And to, to go from that point – to being a national champion, that, that's pretty special. That's something that not only the, will those players remember forever, but obviously the fan base. Are you going to miss talking to me about Mike Bianco's job status next year when we get into the season? Uh, I mean, uh, a guy who was basically out, you know, and they, they get mm-hmm. in and now this. And now, now if nothing else, he's shaking Ole Miss down as they head into the into No, the it's exactly. And, and, and that, this is a, that's a great topic to kind of have an honest discussion about that. I mean, if you're – whether you're an Ole Miss person or you're a national rider, if you looked at Ole Miss in the middle of the season when they were 7-14 and 14 and – said, hey, do you think Mike Bianco ought to be back next season? Like, there was a legitimate, legitimate gripe and legitimate point to be made that maybe they knew need some new blood. And thankfully, we don't have to talk about that anymore because they went on a run and won the national championship. But, you know, I don't really blame fans in the middle of the season yeah. for being really concerned about the future of the program. This is, this is a, a team that obviously finished in a Super Regional round last year. You know, this was obviously a coach that was rumored to be in the mix at LSU. He comes back to Ole Miss. It already kind of stings a little bit to the fan base. Like, he kind of flirted with LSU. And all of a sudden, you follow that up with 7-14 the league. Like, I get it. Like, I get why people be a little mm-hmm. frustrated. So, uh, you know, yeah, we don't have to hear about that anymore. And and what I kind of wonder, though, just big picture-wise for, for Mike and just Ole Miss baseball in general, like, is this a kind of a turning point for this program to go to, to kind of evolve into one of those programs that all, all of a sudden plays really well in the postseason. You know, Ole Miss for years was like one of those programs that you're kind of like, man, they just can't win the big game. All of a sudden, you know, you've seen it in the past with some other programs, they win the big game, and all of a sudden it's like every postseason. Not saying they get to Omaha every year, but every postseason, like they're a well-oiled machine. They're playing really well. Somebody's going to have to play excellent baseball to beat them. And what I just kind of wondered about the long-term trajectory of this program, was this kind of that moment that this program went from what I would consider very good to kind of that elite status to where you just do not want to play them in the postseason? And that, that'll, be the, that'll be the interesting thing for me kind of moving forward. 
Yeah, I mean, along those lines, I don't think it's the same question I'm asking you. What does this mean for this program? Because it's it's, it's going to generate more NIL dollars. I mean, it's going to get people excited. I mean, they're already selling 8,000 season tickets a year. What is what is the trajectory? Other than just playing well in the postseason, it's going to yeah. calm people down. What is? I mean, you've seen this in the past with maybe Virginia and some other teams that have been in the same type of boat. What does this potentially mean for the Rebels as a program? Well, I, I, I kind of look to your to your pals down in Startville. I mean, the thing about Mississippi State that kind of changed for them when they won the national championship is you started getting kids all over the place all of a sudden going, you know what? That place looks awesome. Like, I want to go there. And, cause, and they already recruited well. And Ole Miss already recruited well. Laugh and those guys do a great job. But, like, Ole, or uh, you know, Mississippi State was kind of able to kind of spread its wings a little bit more nationwide. And I think that's what Ole Miss can kind of do. Granted, you got Jacob Gonzalez and some other guys that are from California, from the West. But I just think from a national standpoint, I think a lot of people around the country, uh, you know, maybe didn't know uh, maybe as much about Ole Miss as they did before. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have players in Washington and you're going to have players in New York that are going to go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google Oxford, Mississippi. Like, this looks pretty cool. And so I just think for me, like, I think your recruiting landscape changes a lot when you win a national championship. You know, you're able you're able to get in some households that maybe you weren't able to get in before. So in, in short short terms, I think they're going to go from recruiting really well to probably recruiting at an even more elite level. You talk to maybe as many college coaches as anybody in the country. What's mm-hmm. Mike's reputation around the country? His reputation, honestly, has always been really, really good. Um, it's very similar – it's very similar to, you know, Dave Van Horn in the sense that people have always kind of thought that he's one of those coaches that deserves to win a national championship. And, you know, I think everybody's, you know, you look at this, here's the thing about Mike is he look at his resume and, you know, like he is synonymous with Ole Miss baseball, like Ole Miss baseball is not what it is on the field, in the stands with the ballpark that it is today without Mike Bianco. And I think coaches, you know, whether it's Jim Slosnagel, if you remember kind of his, his poignant tweet in the middle of the season about Mike. Uh, I think coaches kind of feel the same way that Jim did, that Mike's an elite coach, an elite person who, you know, has has always kind of knocked on the door, but just needs to kind of push it down. And so uh, I I've, I've thought that's always been their viewpoint on Mike Bianco. And, and obviously, you know, that, that proved to be the case in the postseason. And, and I'll, the other thing, too, that I always kind of think about is – like, how are your rivals responding to you? And I thought it was really interesting. And, and you know, it's funny. I'm sure I'm sure Gotro and those guys got all sorts of mean texts from their fans. But, like, I thought it was really interesting, like, in Omaha that he said that, like, Gotro and those guys were, like, texting him, like, hey, man, go get them. Good luck. I mean, those are Mississippi State guys telling Ole Miss coaches, like, go get them. Like, that, to me, that tells you the level of respect that they have for Clem, Laugh, and obviously Mike. How big of a Christmas present is Mike going to get John Cohen this year? Ooh, I don't know. That's going to that's going to be interesting one, you know. And, and it's and it's funny, uh, you know. I talked to John off to the side a while back, and you know, it's it interesting. Like he kind of thought, and I'm not, you know, I don't know if this was his pitch to the mm-hmm. committee or what, but like we were talking about Ole Miss down the stretch during the season. It's kind of like he's like, man, I. I don't know what to think about this team. Like they're not playing well, but like if they got if they put all the pieces together, like they're just as good as anybody in the country. Like they could go on a series run of the postseason. So you know, I don't know if Ole Miss fans want to call, you know, John Cohen a soothsayer, but like he kind of called the run a little bit. You know, he he just kind of saw those guys up close and saw they had a lot of potential. Obviously, people are going to people are going to say, oh well, they you know he wanted Ole Miss in the postseason. 
you know, to save Mike's job. But, that, you know, John, John's a professional. He thinks well beyond that. But, yeah, he's going to get a pretty good gift from Oxford, Mississippi. It's going to be under the name, like, Joey Freshwater Johnson or something. <laughs> I, in my opinion, you can agree or disagree. The, old, sure. the winner of Ole Miss in Arkansas was going to win the national title. Either one of those was going to beat Oklahoma that final weekend. If you're Van Horn, I, I was watching that press conference, and, and obviously, I mean, I think you had picked them to win. You, you watch Arkansas, they're there yeah. every single year. They're a pop-up away. Yeah. His mental ability to kind of move forward has got to be tough because he very easily could have two or yeah. three rings at this point. And it, at some point, it begins to wonder, is he going to get one? Yeah, you're right. And, and you know what's funny is Mike kind of let me know about that whenever I picked against the Rebels uh, in that second game. He, he told me the way out I owe fit Aaron fit a stake. So I'm yeah. glad that what's actually impressive about that is the fact that Coach Bianco actually watched like had to had to watch like nine yeah. minutes of that video to get to my pick. So I appreciate that, Coach. But uh, yeah, you know Arkansas a lot like Mike. I mean, like DVH. Like at this point, it's excruciating. I mean, you're talking about a guy who. You're you're a Carson Shaddy uh, catch away from winning the national championship. Like if they catch that ball, they're winning the national championship. And obviously that didn't happen. We all know what happened to Oregon State. And so to be that close, and then a couple years later, you've got you know you've got the Tennessee of this year that year, and you lose on a well, it wasn't a walk off, but you lose on a majestic blast like you did mm-hmm. against NC State, and then to get to get as close as you did this year and fall short, it, it can be tough. Uh, but I, I think these coaches, to be honest with you, and I, and I kind of go back to what Mike kind of said in our Coach of the Year feature, just about like you try not to think about it, you try to move forward. And I think from a coaching standpoint, you kind of look at it as in like the other way. Like, you know what, it, it stings, it hurts. But also, we play for a national championship. We were number one team in the country for like 12 weeks or what was it, nine, ten weeks last year. Uh, we got to the national semifinals this year. So, you know what, like, yeah, it's disappointing, but I mean – Think of how many teams would love to be in our position where they're in the final four, they're in the final two, they're in a they're a you know the number one national seed in a super regional. There are a lot of schools out there that would love to be in that position. I think as a coach, you have to think about it that way because if you don't, it'll drive you crazy. And and I remember uh, when they when that play against Oregon State happened, I remember calling Van Horn about a month and a half later because I've known Dave since I was like 18 years old when I first started, and. Like I could tell, I could tell he was still hurting from it, but like he had definitely moved on to some extent. So I just think I think these elite coaches are just wired differently, man. And I think the players are the same way. Like you'll see these players go through a crushing, crushing loss, and like two weeks later, you talk to them or you do an interview with them, they seem to be totally fine. Elite athletes and elite coaches to me are just kind of built differently. I've only got 10 more minutes with you, so I don't we don't have time to mine this subject all the way through. But I'm just kind of curious, NIL all these changes, the way the recruiting, how is this impacting the game? I mean, you see what LSU is doing. Ole Miss is obviously trying to put as many collectives in place. You've got Texas and A&M and State and, and Arkansas. Are, are we getting to a point to where, you know, it wasn't too long ago, you're starting to see it change a little more, but it wasn't too long ago you would have coaches apologize to other coaches for recruiting commitments, and yeah. it really was a entirely different game. It's getting a little more footballish, basketballish this offseason. Are we running? I mean, it's not a risk. Maybe it's whatever it is, but you know, eight to ten schools having NIL advantages that completely change the game versus any everybody else. It, it could, but I mean, I would argue this, and I've kind of had this. I, I've said this for a while, uh, not on NIL, but but on coaches. Is when you have you know Mike Bianco making one point two million plus, you have Jay Johnson making over you know one point two million, you've got Kevin O'Sullivan making one point five. Like you're going to have 
uh, a lot more expectations. And when you have a lot more expectations, guess what? The the eagerness, the the patience to to win uh, becomes less and less. And when that happens. You're going to have coaches that are going to, they're going to you know be I wouldn't say sketchy is not the right word I don't think it's sketchy but like they're you know they're going to bend the rules a little bit in terms of recruiting whether it's the portal whether it's uh, talking to guys at Team USA or talking to guys at the Cape or talking to high school prospects they're going to bend the rules a little bit because they're expected to win and win immediately and it doesn't help across the country when you have like A and M for instance in year one with a bunch of portal guys that get to the national semifinals that you know, that wrongly tells every school, like, hey, we can do that. Because, like, that's not going to happen everywhere. That, that, mm-hmm. was, that was a very much an aberration. So uh, I think when you look at NIL, that that just kind of, I don't know, kind of feeds the beast, so to speak. I mean, when you look at LSU, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie about it. I mean, there's no doubt if they don't have NIL situation they do, they're not getting all the guys that they've gotten so far. That's the fact of the matter. And so it certainly has helped, helped LSU. I think the biggest thing for me, and this kind of goes from baseball over into football, over into basketball. The thing that's going to be interesting, the thing that's going to have to happen is there's they're going to have, need to have united NIL rules in some of these states. Because when you look at like the state of Texas, for instance, I was talking to a coach in the state of Texas the other day, and they were saying like they cannot talk about any NIL stuff till like kid actually like signs with them. Te- technically, no, no, no doubt it happens. No doubt it happens. And just look at like a and football last year, but. Uh, you know, some of these other states, like, there's no rules on it. Like, you can sit there and tell a kid, like, oh, well, we can, you know, based on what we're hearing, we can offer you X amount of dollars. And so when you have that, that creates, you know, that creates a little bit more separation with some of these schools. So uh, it's going to be interesting, but it's one of the, the one of those situations to where if you're an old Miss, you can absolutely use that to your advantage, kind of like Mississippi State did with some of its NIL stuff. I would expect the old Miss to start getting pretty aggressive in that. They certainly earned it. Where's Oklahoma going to fit into the pecking order in baseball in this league? Well, I'll say this. Uh, Oklahoma was a team that I was pretty high on coming to year. Uh, I know the Big 12 coaches had them in the middle of the pack, but, um, you know, I, was, I thought they were a program that, you know, with their pitching and with their offensive potential, uh, they, they can make a run this year. But, you know, the thing about Oklahoma, they're going to have to get very serious about coaching salaries and uh, facilities. I just think when you look at their facility overall, you know, it's way, it's, it's way down the, the Big 12 pecking order right now. It's probably going to be in the top two or three uh, in the SEC. Now, if you notice during the, during the College World Series, I did come out and announce a pretty hefty renovation project. But, I mean, they've got a long, long way to go. And, and like I told somebody, I told somebody in the Oklahoma Athletic Department a while back when, they, when the news about the SEC came out, I told them, I said, hey, if y'all don't get serious, like you're going to be Missouri in that league. I don't care what your recruiting profile is because a recruiting profile is better than Missouri. There's no doubt about that. But sure. you will become a Missouri type of program. And certainly they've gotten that. They've gotten that memo. Uh, can can they be better than Texas or Texas A&M and Ole Miss and teams like that consistently? I'm not so sure. I know that obviously we portal, plenty of stuff going on. What's Tennessee going to be like next year? I think they're going to be really good. I mean, I think if you look at Tennessee overall, you know, you have the SEC pitcher of the year and Chase Dolander coming back. You know, Chase Burns, who's going to be our freshman of the year coming back. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he pitched really well for much of the season. And so – you know, getting him back, Drew Beam back. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the two top – well, other than Hunter Elliott, you've got the two top freshman pitchers in the conference along with Elliott, uh, and then you've got, you know, um, Chase Dolander back. I mean, that's a pretty 
good place to start. And I think offensively, they clearly have some holes to fill. But, you know, Blake Burke is back this year, and he's a guy that they have pretty pretty high hopes for. He was kind of more of a DH role. He's, he was hurt at times. I think he's going to have a big year for them. And clearly adding Maui Ahuna from Kansas out of the portal is a big one for Tennessee as well. So uh, they're going to have the best rotation in college baseball. And if you have that, that gives you a chance. And what's going to be interesting when you look at Tennessee is it's, it's always interesting how – the team do you expect to win the national championship never does, but it's always a team after, right? Like, don't be surprised when Tennessee isn't that kind of that loud, boisterous, in-your-face type of team this year and watch them actually go on a run and play and win a national championship with a, a, a more likable team and a team that maybe doesn't have quite the expectations. So you don't think that's going to be a program identity where they act like that every year? I don't think so. I don't think you can okay. afford to be. I don't I don't think you can afford to have that be your identity because the problem you run into, and I was having this discussion with some coaches that were in Omaha, is when you're a team like Tennessee, your highs are really high, but your lows are really low. And when things went bad against Notre Dame, it was just like all like hell in a handbasket. Like they had no idea how to handle it. So I think you were Tony Vitello and you're that coaching staff. You gotta take a step back and be like, okay, like it. To an extent, this is this is cool, and this is kind of like we like being a little rough on the edges. But we can't be we can't be too rough on the edges. So I actually expect Tennessee to look a little different next year from a personality standpoint, and certainly not having Drew Gilbert will help that matter. Are you anticipating that baseball stays at ten conference week, weekends, even in the SEC when Texas and Oklahoma join, or even beyond that? I mean, is there any scuttlebutt about what anything could look like different as this number continues to probably elevate inside the conference? I would think you'll probably add another week. I mean, that's my guess. Uh, obviously, I think we're going to go to a pod system in baseball. I just don't think you can afford to, you know, because I don't think they're done yet. So the SEC's right. done yet. So they're going to clearly have to go to a pod system. And, you know, how many weekends they have is to be determined. But I think they're going to have more. But, you know, overall, just the, the overar- overarching view of the of college baseball and in the SEC is going to be totally different moving forward. I mean, we're, we're about a year away from probably having no caps on coaches on staff. We're probably a year and a half or two years away from, from the SEC being 24 to 26 scholarships in baseball. So the, the whole landscape of this whole thing is about to change dramatically. Uh, and finally, in our sport for the better. You spoke of that. I'll just ask you as we close, 24 to 26, it's pretty obvious who the who the teams would be that would suddenly really elevate. But what does that do to the sport as, as a whole? Because there's a lot of six schools that would not move to 24 to 26 scholarships. They can't afford it. No, you're right. And uh, I've said this for years. I think the best thing that, that, would, that would be for college baseball is to split divisions further. You know, right now we're one, two, and three. I think a lot like football. I, I just I think it makes total sense to split division one. And that's not that's not because I think anybody's less important and someone else is more important. But, you know, if you're Fordham or if you're uh, Monmouth, like why are you what like why are you throwing money into a sport to compete against Ole Miss in baseball? Like it makes no sense. It'd be like it'd be like, you know, Mississippi Valley State deciding they want to compete with Ole Miss and Mississippi State in football. Like it just makes no sense. Like you're just wasting money. And so uh, I, I've thought for years that college baseball needs to split division. I think this will force that. I think this will force teams to have to split divisions. And, you know, I, I think you'll be surprised at how many people stay up. I think you'll see Conference USA. Um, you'll see Sunbelt. You'll see A-Sun. I bet you – I mean, I'd be willing to bet the SOCON, which has become a pretty good baseball mm-hmm. league. I think they'll stay. 
And I, and I think when you look out West, obviously the Pac-12, there's no way the Pac-12 is going to let like the Big Ten and the SEC and leagues like that have more scholarships than them. So I think you're still looking at, at the end of the day, in 10 years, or well, I mean, at this point, it may be four or five years. Uh, you know, I think Division One baseball end up being 180 to 200 teams as opposed to 300. And, uh, and honestly, that's probably a good thing. And because of Ole Miss's lack of lottery scholarships, they might be one of the teams most able to take advantage of that move from a scholarship standpoint, you would think. Maybe more than anybody in the country, frankly. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. That, that'll really help them. And it, and honestly, what will be interesting to see, does it change the, the status of Vanderbilt? I mean, I would argue that mm-hmm. Tim Corbin is a premier one of the best coaches in college baseball, and I don't think it'll make too big of a, a dent on those guys. But now all of a sudden you've got a situation to where all of these SEC schools are going to be on even footing with Vanderbilt. And so what happens with them after this this all goes down is going to be fascinating to me. And, and I have faith. I, I think Tim Corbin's a really good coach. But, I mean, it's really easy for us to sit back and say say that whenever, the you know, they've always kind of been two steps ahead you know, from the starting starting point on a 100-meter dash. Appreciate it, bud, as always. You got it, man. Y'all be good. Thank you. Our thanks to uh, Kendall Rogers and Jeffrey Wright for their time tonight on Hand Raise, guys. This will be the Friday Oxford Exxon podcast. Again, our thanks to Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating for making this show possible. Uh, we will be back on uh, Monday morning with another edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast. Until then, for Chase Parham, I'm Neil McCready. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.